0: If you ever feel that you are kind of working hard, that you're sort of pushing a stone uphill, all you're feeling is the, the visceral sensation of lack of strategy. And equally, if you ever feel like, oh, stuff's just coming at me, like opportunities are coming thick and fast and I don't know what to do with, that's the visceral feeling of the presence of strategy even if you actually haven't necessarily codified it or identified it. Why on earth are you listening to this podcast? I have a guess. In fact,
1: it's two guesses. The first is that you're in the talent acquisition human resource employer brand space. And I further guess that you've realized that we're all doing kind of the same stuff over and over and over again. How we post jobs how we write about jobs how we talk about working it hasn't changed in a very very long time meanwhile the world seems to have changed 17 different ways doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result there's a name for that it's called the definition of insanity welcome to the definition of insanity podcast for people like you who understand that we can do recruiting and hiring better we just have to start by changing. I'm James Ellis, and I hope you enjoy the definition of insanity. I am obsessed with strategy. (laughs) Hold on, stay here. Strategy is one of those things where everybody, as soon as someone starts talking about it, everybody goes, well, I don't have an MBA, so I better get out of here. Hold on. As an employer brander, I am obsessed with strategy because I know when you use strategy effectively, you maximize your resources. Strategy is very often nothing more than moving the pieces around to gain maximum advantage. In fact, you could even think about strategy as a means of, I don't know, replacing effort with thinking. By the way, that's not my line, that's Alex's line. His book, No Bullshit Strategy, is an unbelievable, simple, 140 pages, simple book that everybody who sees this podcast should absolutely go out, run out, and read. It's a, it's a two-hour plane ride at best, and you will find all sorts of things to underline, to circle, to put little exclamation points on it, just like I did. What I love about this book is it turns strategy from Michael Porter and Harvard Business Review and big ideas that only massive companies with huge resources can take advantage of into something that a two- or three-person shop can use, a restaurant can use, a small agency can use, He's talking about strategy on a level that anybody can access, that anybody can take advantage of. And that includes talent acquisition leaders. This conversation with Alex was an absolute joy. I've been reading this stuff for almost a year now. I was thrilled that we could record it, that he agreed to talk to me about it for so long. And honestly, this conversation yields so many tidbits, ideas, one-liners, all sorts of things that frankly, if it was me, I'd be taking notes except I've already read the book and I've already talked to him. This is going to be a lot of fun podcast. So when we talk about strategy, remember that strategy is not for other people. Strategy is for you. You can take advantage of a good strategic approach to do more with less because that's what your bosses are looking for. So get ready for an in-depth conversation about real-world strategy with Alex M.H. Smith. All right, with me today is Alex M.H. Smith, who, if you don't know him, has written a tremendous book. I don't recommend books too often like this, but this is a must-read. It's only 140-some pages. It's an absolute perfect kind of like get on an airplane for two hours and have your mind just expanded kind of book. It's a fantastic book, all about strategy. And That's why I asked him to come on. This is, I've been a fan of his for like a year now, reading his newsletter, reading his website, and now the book. I thought he would be the perfect person to inject some real strategic thinking into this conversation because he spends his whole life trying to bring strategy to a real world kind of methodology, if you will. So Alex, thank you so much for being on here.
0: Thanks for having me on. Uh, uh, Great to be here. So for the benefit
1: of everybody else besides the book, can you introduce yourself to everybody? What do you do all day? How do you spend your time? Obviously, yeah, your world has gotten a little more complicated in the last couple of months, but uh, help us understand what, what Alex Smith's world looks like.
0: Sure, sure. Well, I mean, the uh, the nice, boring, non-dinner party answer is that I'm a strategy consultant and then ev- everyone can run a mile. Uh, but you know what that means in practice is just a sort of, help founders, CEOs, um, uh, and essentially just tell them what direction they should take their company that's going to work and give them leverage and separate them from the competition and all the stuff that strategy is meant to do. So, you know, it's just basically talking, giving people advice on what to do. No, no, not even that, telling people what to do. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So that. Uh, but a uh, a big part of that as well is sort of strategy education because maybe we'll get onto this in some way but the issue with the field is this it's very much something where people don't know that they have a problem because they actually don't know what strategy is in the first place because it's you know this stupid hard to define word which is obviously a bit of a cliche what a bad word it is so I do a lot of content in various forms essentially just demystifying strategy and getting people to just grasp it at At an intuitive level, and and see what they need to do, and then to your point about life becoming more complicated recently, that sort of blew up on LinkedIn around August. So since then, I've been a much more sort of content-led business than I was before. So you know, fundamentally, still doing you know client projects and all the rest of it, but now the the volume of this kind of stuff I'm doing is uh, gigantic compared to before.
1: Yeah. And I will actually uh, put links to both the newsletter and your LinkedIn profile in the show notes because they uh, your LinkedIn posts for me are one of the most must-read posts. It's because they're gorgeously laid out. They're gorgeously put together. They're, they're concise. They're very tight. They're very designed to make me think bigger, which I'm always a big fan of. So everyone should, should definitely follow them. And to your point about Bad strategy definitions. I feel like someone should write the book of bad strategy definitions. Like here's <laughs> here's everybody's definition. It's a really complicated plan, and you know it's like no, it's not. It's not any of that. Do you have like a favorite or
0: a most common bad definition of strategy? Oh, um, you know what? Actually, I think ironically the the correct definition. No, the correct oh. definition of strategy is actually a bad definition of strategy Uh, correct yeah because um because i mean you you look at strategy in the dictionary that's not hard to do and it's going to tell you something which is true which will be something along the lines of oh a strategy is a plan to achieve a goal something like Mm -hmm. that and that's true and there's nothing there's nothing sort of wrong with that but when you think about it like that is assuming strategy for any field that could be strategy to get six-pack abs or have a happy marriage or you know um choosing take over a Greece, take over Greece exactly <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. yeah precisely so when you're talking about like essentially a term which pretty much lays like a blanket over the entire field of human endeavor it has to be so loose that it, it the, the definition pretty much ends up becoming like a strategy is when you do something clever, yeah. and you're like, "What the hell am I meant to do with that?" Like, so you know, so essentially, like when you say, "Oh, well, you know, your business could do with a strategy," there's a bit just like saying, "Oh, your, your business could do with being clever," which yeah. is tantamount to saying, "Oh, your business could do with being good." You, yeah. you're just, it, it, it's so vacant that yeah. no wonder people get in a mess with it. And then that vacuum that exists because of that definition then gets filled with all sorts of complexity and people trying to sell stuff and people Mm -hmm. trying to rack up billable hours and all the rest of it until it becomes this um, sort of interwoven thing which nobody can pass. And it's not because the definition is too complicated. It's actually in a way because the definition is too simple, which then Mm -hmm. allows all of that guff to kind of flood in. Yeah, so let's turn the ship around. What is your definition of strategy? So, bearing in mind that I'm obviously mostly talking about the strategy for a business, uh, you uh, you then need to kind of like narrow the definition so that it applies to that thing you're talking about. So, in the in the case of a business, not always, but 99 times out of 100, a good strategy for a business is simply boils down to figuring out. What is the thing that we're offering people, which they want, but which they can't get somewhere else? That's like okay. it.
1: No, you figure that's that out.
0: Something. You figure that out and you're going to earn money. And obviously, if you think about, I know that this is like being almost comically first principles based, but people do sort of forget this stuff. You think about what a business is. All a business is, is it's a sort of system that's designed to spit value out into the world and collect value in exchange, right? Mm. That is literally what a business is. And the more value you spit out into the world, the more value you're gonna be able to take back in in exchange. Therefore, an effective strategy for any business is finding a way to increase that value. And that means giving people something they want, obviously, but then number two, the bit that makes it hard, that they can't get elsewhere. Because obviously, yeah. if it's something they can get elsewhere, and this is the problem that most businesses have, they are, by definition, a commodity product. And so, so that's actually, you aren't really giving value to the world if you're giving people something that they can get from lots of places. You're just doubling, tripling, quadrupling up. So, so we, can, we can basically just box all that up in the term, what is your unique value, right? So to me, unique value in the context of business is essentially synonymous with strategy. And when you say that to someone who's running a business, suddenly strategy becomes much easier. It's like, okay, it's still super hard to solve that riddle, uh, but at least you know what you're trying to solve. At least your brief isn't just go out there and do something great, which is sort of where they were before. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think to recruiters and talent acquisition professionals, very often the value they're offering is a job, right is here. I want to offer you an opportunity. I want to offer a job. And those jobs are not very well differentiated amongst each other. They're, you know, very rarely unique They're Hey, it's a sales manager job. Well there, how many sales manager jobs are there open at any given time? It's hundreds of thousands more than likely. So what's, what is it about yours? And so I love your version of strategy, which says you need to lean into the thing that says, how are you different? Because the, it, it suggests without saying, the more you're different, the more someone will value it and the more value you'll be able to extract in exchange. Am I getting that right or am I way off
0: base? No, 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 you, no, you're definitely right. And although I don't obviously know much about um, your field, uh, I mean, this applies on, there's this pattern, it exists at lo- in a sort of microcosm at lower levels. So if we're talking about the field of recruitment, you know, this pattern exists where For example, as you say, if you're trying to sort of advertise a job and being very sort of basic about it, then the offer of that job to the candidates is no different than the offer of a business to its customers. The dynamics are the same. The game is the same. The strategic relationships are the same. Or if you were, let's say, a recruitment agency and you're trying to get a client, well, then that is uh, that then that is obviously that that is not not just an agency, but actually maybe you're an individual recruiter, a freelance recruiter, you're still playing the same game. Everybody in the business ecosystem is playing the same game of trying to trade value for value. So everybody in the business ecosystem should be dedicating 70% plus of their time to just one question. How can I turn up the dial on the value that I'm giving? How can I give more? And all the other stuff will just take care of itself. But When you think about it, people don't spend 70% of their energy or time on maximizing that question. In fact, I think a lot of people, including actual chief execs of big businesses, spend borderline 0% of their time because they're thinking about operational stuff. They're thinking about, you know, various sort of day-to-day sort of keeping the wheels turning, and they're never stepping back and and saying, how can we turn that dial? But then, if you look at you know the legendary founders, you know your Steve Jobs and whoever, all of that kind of thing. Like all Steve Jobs really was, other than ob- obviously very smart, but like he was just a person who just spent all day, every day, thinking value, 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 value. And then we should not be surprised that he then manages to collect the highest amount of value of any business in history. So yeah. it's not complicated when you look at it that way.
1: Yeah, and I love that because so many, so many business leaders are so focused on how do I squeeze the value out? Oh, what you really oh, need to do is, is turn the volume up. You need to turn the, the, <laughs> the value language up as loud as possible, as different as possible. There, there is no other iPhone. There is no other iMac. There is only the one. There is one place I can get it. And if I want to substitute, I mean, it's not even a substitute. It's, it's a whole different product.
0: This is such an important point that you raise because, yes, the default position that we have as business people writ large is that we're always thinking, how can I squeeze more value from the stone? How, What levers can I pull to get more value? And the truth is, there are lots of tactical levers that you can pull to increase the value that you get from an exchange, from a customer, da da da. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't think about that at all, but it definitely shouldn't be the default method of thinking. The default method of thinking should be how can I give value? And these two things are opposed to each other. So you end up having you know a real sort of like um, a sort of a, if you want to be harsh about it, you can, you can end up having a parasitical mindset uh, on the on the market and actually with a lot of big corporate businesses, and I don't say this to be critical because it's actually strategically smart. Mm-hmm based on their the conditions they are operating in their strat their strategic approach actually is parasitical Mm. uh so if you have some form of scale if you are very very powerful in terms of your size in terms of how much money you can call on then you can start to use parasitic techniques to extract value from the market that you're in and this might actually be the smart thing to do so you know like um Back in the day, I worked with one of the big beer conglomerates and they wanted to launch a cider because cider was um, a growing category and it just so happened they didn't have a cider. Now, the value-giving way of doing that is to look at the category and say, right, well, there's already a lot of cider out there. What, if anything, does the cider market need? What does the cider customer need that they aren't getting that we can give to them? But in the case of this company I was working for, They didn't need to think that because they were one of the big boys so they could launch a completely generic non-value adding cider they could use their relationships with retailers and their advertising spend whatever to force it into the market and edge out smaller higher value players so this was actually a parasitical game that they were playing because they were not adding value to the market but it was strategically effective so going back to what i was saying before about how 99 times out of 100 the effective strategy is the value giving one in certain circumstances the effective strategy is something that i call i, I call these non value strategies strategies where a business has found some loophole that doesn't give value to the customer but that does enable them to extract value this yeah. is definitely a thing
1: and i, Convenience. And I or you know, just being sheer size and scale and and and, and, and omnipresence—that's a value, but not really a value, right? Is that stuff or something?
0: Yeah, something I mean, well, uh, that you know, the joke, uh, the joke that I always make is that uh, Tony Soprano can uh, grow his waste management business by whacking his competitors. This is a strategy, insofar as the fact that it works, and it's got nothing yeah. to do with him. Finding a way to give higher value in the waste management game. So this is why I say, you know, it's it doesn't cover a hundred percent of your bases to think about strategy from a value giving point of view. But those the cases where it doesn't apply are so sort of outlier mm-hmm. that you're better off just not thinking of them at all. And they also generally apply to much much bigger businesses than what you probably have. That's what I was about to say. It's like once you hit top
1: of the market, you're let you have different sets of rules. You are the eight thousand pound gorilla in the market. In talent, my theory is always that since there is no such thing as the 8,000 pound grill, like no one has hegemony mm-hmm. over all jobs, no matter what the job is, um, you know, you want to get into robotics. Yeah, there's Boston Dynamic, and they're the ones with the crazy, terrifying robot videos, but there are also hundreds of other companies hiring robotics. So even if you're the number one, you're, you, you're, you've you're got a plurality, not a majority. So you, no one is actually that kind of dominant brand, which means Every brand is functionally a challenger brand, and they need to embrace those rules of saying, "Where is the value I can identify? How do I put a message out in the world that shows how I'm different?" That sort of thing, which I think lines up to what you're saying. You know, obviously, nobody's nobody's recommending you whack other people, you know, other TA leaders for talent. That seems like a a, a pretty rough strategy.
0: Yeah, and I, I I think your reading of the situation is spot on. And even if you take, well, I know that this is a slightly dated reference, probably now, but back in the day when everyone wanted to work for Google, yeah. Fine, it appears at a glance that Google is the 8,000 pound gorilla in terms of talent acquisition, but actually working for Apple would be pretty good too, you know, yeah. and working for Netflix would be pretty good too. So really, even when you're in those rarefied climbs where you might think, oh, well, they've got it easy when it comes to talent acquisition. Well, they actually kind of don't. At any given time, even at the very top of that market, there's a dozen equally sexy options. Yeah. And they never take over
1: more than like one or 2% of the total marketplace demand. So there's no, there's no way to be that, that, I mean, you can be sexy and cool and fun, but you're never going to start to dictate terms.
0: Yeah. 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 Completely.
1: If you're watching or listening to this podcast, it's because you are in TA and you probably think talent acquisition can be better, but to be better, it has to change. Now, I don't mean other people have to change. It means you have to change, your team has to change, your entire strategy and approach needs to change. You need some resources to help make that change happen. So take a look at thechangeagent.news. It's a newsletter every Monday that's absolutely free. Changing talent acquisition at your company is a big job. You need all the help, resources, and support you can get. So check out thechangeagent.news. So one thing you've talked about, and I think you, I don't even, the funny thing is, I don't think you mentioned it in the book, I heard it in a podcast and I thought this was such an interesting idea. And that is that strategy allows you to make different. And then the suggestion there is better choices that because you have a strategy, because you're going for something different, because you have, your goal is so clear and focused, you're no longer kind of doing what everybody else does. Can you talk about that? Because I think that is an area where talent acquisition leaders need to think a bit more about how do I not just do the obvious answers, but how do I build a strategy so I can make different choices and win in my particular space?
0: Yeah, so it it definitely is, I should apply to every strategy that you are by definition doing something that the other guy isn't doing and not because the other guy is sort of stupid or behind the curve or anything. It's that you're actually doing something that they wouldn't want to do. Yeah. Like uh one sort of principle that I think it's good to adhere to is to think if your competitor would see what you're doing and think, oh, oh well that's a good idea. We should do that too. Then it's not a strategy. You're just doing oh, something. I love good, that. Right? I love that. yeah like, the competitor needs to look at what you're doing and say, I would never do that. Yeah. You know? Uh, and one of the ways that you can, this is very sort of, sort of 4d chess kind of level of the, of the concept, but one of the ways you want to do that ideally is you want to be, you want to take an action, make a choice, go down a path, which not only is different from what the competitor does, but actually is incompatible with something that they value. So I talk about this thing I do talk about this in the book the the idea of contrarian value. Mm. So that's this is one click above offering differentiated value. Contrarian value is value that disagrees with the competition. So you're saying they think x but we or I think y. Uh and so it's because that disagreement is then what makes your position defensible. So you know the classic strategy textbook example of this which you know, everyone references and I reference because it's just so good um, is when Southwest Airlines came along uh, and they invented the low cost airlines category, basically, that was at a time when the money in airlines was made in business travel. So when you're an airline that comes across and says, not only are we going to underplay business travel, we're actually going to remove it altogether. We are actually going to become actively hostile to the business traveler. The big airlines, American or whoever, they can't say, oh, good idea. We'll do that, too, because their business, their whole business model is built on the business traveler. So so that is kind of like ultimate strategy brilliance. If you can get to a point where you um, have that contrarian position like that, because then in an ideal world, you end up in a situation where you and your competitors you actually don't compete at all you aren't aren't encroaching on each other in fact the kind of the woo-woo way the ideal which very rarely gets reached but i think you should be shooting for is to think about you and your competitor in a sort of yin yang relationship where you balance the market between you and some people are right for them some people are right for you and you both make big fat profits because you aren't fighting and it's the fighting that creates the the conditions that SAT profit if, yeah. if, if the competitors don't fight they both make big profits um, but that only happens when their offerings are incompatible
1: yeah I, like a couple of years ago let's take computer scientists and engineers for example like all the data all the research you know polling hundreds of thousands of uh engineers and and, and technologists what do you want in a job the answer was simple i want work flexibility i want Uh, managers who help me develop, they want all this stuff. And then they ask, who is the company you want to work for the most? And they all said, SpaceX, a company that did not offer any workforce balance or work life balance. It's crazy. I was thinking
0: about that just as you were talking about it. I know. Yeah. It's
1: like, and yet, beca- and it's because what SpaceX was offering was something radically different. It is, we're going to Mars and no one else is going to Mars. And the underlying conceit there was, this is such an insanely impossible task to ask for. You can't get there the easy way. And in fact, To your contrarian value, where you it's so differentiated, being tough proves the case that they're doing this hard thing. What looks like negative features of that business is suddenly proof points as to how they're different and why people should join. So I love that I I, you know I hadn't before I saw the book I hadn't had language for that that contrarian value sort of thing. So I think it it makes perfect sense from a talent standpoint, even you know not just you know
0: airports and, and cider. Well, you took the words out of my mouth. I mean, that is fantastic. Um, It's uh, yeah, because I'm was timely because I'm listening to the 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 Elon Musk Walter Isaacson book at the moment. (sighs) Obviously, (laughs) hey, he came up with the idea, Um, (laughs) and a whole bunch of other ideas besides. Yeah, (laughs) but as you say, basically SpaceX is a horrible place to work, and that's almost like the and that and that's not a that's not a bug that's a feature absolutely it's a point of pride it's a point of pride so it's like so 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 yeah it's um and you know and what could be more motivating to a certain mindset than uh than going to mars and actually pro i don't know much about it but probably what could be more motivating than a than a hostile work-life balance you know some people like to work in a pressure cooker Mm -hmm. situation um that is incredibly unforgiving and so you know and the fact that it's only the fact that it's only a fraction of the market that wants that is yeah. not a problem because ultimately it's the fraction of the market that that you want, and in the world of SpaceX, it's a fraction of the market that you are um, uh, that you're that, that you're going to attract. So you know the market will then, in that regard, naturally sort of sort people uh, in a way that's beneficial for the person and beneficial for the organisation. But that's contingent on the organization being strategically very clear about what it wants and also being open about it and not doing what you would know better than me but i imagine there's probably quite a lot of i hesitate to say lying but shall we say sort of like putting putting a sort of a face on of what of what companies think that people want regardless of whether that is what they're actually giving and then all the incentives are misaligned and blah, blah, blah. And you have an unhappy customer slash um, slash employee.
1: Workforce, yeah. Uh, and that, you know, I, I think TA leaders are so beset with these articles that say, Gen Y wants this. As if every single person says, yes, I want that. When in fact it's yeah. maybe 50.3% is like, I'm sorry, you're leaving a whole audience underserved and under you know valued because you are listening to the majority because you think it's the biggest pool so it's the easier to fish from well the biggest pool attracts the most fisher people so you might want to find a place that people don't talk about i think that yeah that the the, the, i'm I'm just gonna i'm just gonna like kind of sit in that contrarian value and reread that section because i'm seeing it differently now and it's super super helpful
0: Oh well, I th- I think that your drawing of that into this into this market yeah is is absolutely uh, spot on, and I can only imagine just how far, just how how far people fall short of that ideal mm-hmm. in most cases on a day to day basis.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to get to what I think of as the nuggety center of this <clears throat> conversation. What I think every TA leader is really wants to hear is there's this line. Uh, I think you say it a couple different ways. I just, I'm going to simplify it. And that is strategy replaces effort. That mm. is like it. That's, that's the cherry on top. That is the, that's the gooey, you know, caramel in the middle of that pine ice cream. That is something delicious inside that every, I think everybody wants to know about. Cause I think every TA leader knows they're burning out, they're overworked, they're exhausted, their teams are fried and hiring managers are expecting more from them. And I've tried to kind of say, Changing your process, changing your strategy, changing your perspective allows you to do more with less because that's what every you know, head, lead executive is saying. You have to hire more, but do it with less. And here you are with a whole book talking about strategy replaces effort. Can we dive into that a bit? Can you spell that out so I don't sound like just a crazy person when I say stuff like that because I think you say it way better than I do?
0: yeah that's great. I haven't thought about that line for a while, but yeah i need to need to bring that back into circulation so um just let me think you got to think about like what the thing that you're trying to achieve anything can be achieved unstrategically, right you don't need strategy to become successful. you don't need strategy to win. I think it's important that people see that because. Because, frankly, most businesses, most um, talent acquisition people, whatever, they are not operating strategically, but it doesn't mean that they're failing. Right. It's very unusual for people to operate strategically, very unusual. So you might then ask, well, how do people win without strategy? And the answer is they win through effort, which doesn't just mean sort of trying harder, working longer hours, you know, uh, uh, spending money is another form of effort you know Certainly. like spending lots of money on marketing or whatever um so uh, any form of hustle is a form of effort and what you're doing is you are brute forcing your way to the thing that you want and it's hard work and it's not very fun it's probably not very profitable but you can ultimately brute force your way to a lot of things um so brute force is what you do when you don't have strategy. And in the context in a sort of competitive market context where all of the players are offering the same thing, the one who brute forces it more wins. Or yeah. often that means the one who's bigger wins, yeah. right? So that is the alternative to uh to strategy. So that's why I say that strategy is the alternative to effort, because strategy is when you find some sort of um hack, if you like. Where, the, where things just start to move in your favor, naturally, you're sort of pushing against, you're sort of pushing against an open door. And um, once you have that, you no longer need to apply brute force. So going back to that, that, that definition of, if you're offering something that people want, but they can't get elsewhere, you understand intuitively that that isn't very difficult business to run, if you manage to figure that out. Um, You know, there are businesses out there, some big brands. I mean, this isn't the be all and end all example. It just illustrates the point who, for example, do no advertising. They have a policy of simply just not advertising. And that's because they do not need to expend the effort that advertising represents in order to attract customers. They're attracting the customers anyway because of their strategic offer and differentiation and all the rest of it. You know, another good way to think about it is that, you know, people talk about strategy being your point of leverage. Now, if we even literally think about that of the the literal example of a lever, the longer your lever is, the less effort you have to expend. So strategy is that lever. Now, most businesses don't have any leverage. Most individuals don't have any leverage. So the only thing that they can offer, even if you're an employee, like a, a candidate or whatever, like, you know, I'm sure that. People, can, people in your audience can identify with the fact that some candidates have leverage and they can set the terms and some candidates don't have leverage. And so what do the candidates who don't have leverage offer? They offer effort, which in their case, it might, the effort could just be simply, I will do this job for less money than other people, for instance. So again, effort in the absence of leverage. So, um, so, so, that's, so that's always the dynamic. So I think that if you are, If you ever feel that you are kind of working hard, that you're sort of pushing a stone uphill, all you're feeling is the the visceral sensation of lack of strategy. And equally, if you ever feel like, oh, stuff's just coming at me, like opportunities are coming thick and fast and I don't know what to do with, that's the visceral feeling of the presence of strategy even if you actually haven't necessarily codified it or identified it. There's this great quote. It was to do with um, Halo Top. I don't know if they're still a successful brand in the United States. I guess they are. And the founder said something. They were around for a little while before they became successful and they were sort of tinkering with things. And then sort of like there was one tinker that they did, whatever it was. And suddenly, boom, it just went off and sales were up. 1,000%, 2,000%, 10,000%. 1000% 2000% 10000% and the founder himself said you know it it shocked us it took to, it took us by surprise we didn't know what to do suddenly everything was just flying and that is simply what happens when the offer meets the market need in a strategically aligned way suddenly whoa off you go and it's like you know you you're sort of on a runaway train and that's the feeling that we want to have and um uh, and so you know very very few of us get to experience that feeling in yep. in, in in a business context yep. uh, but that is the feeling that you are shooting for you know it's the feeling that i got when my sort of linkedin stuff took off like a few months ago you know i was preaching this stuff but i never really felt it myself i knew that it was true because i'd seen it from other people but i didn't kind of like know that visceral sensation of just running downhill yeah. uh but, but yeah, this is, this is what we want.
1: What's the point of employer brand? Let me help the point where the purpose of employer brand is to help people choose your company as a place to work over other companies. Now put that way, suddenly employer brand doesn't seem so complicated. It doesn't seem so crazy. And it seems like something your company could take advantage of and it is. Take a look at employerbrand.ing, employerbrand.ing, or employer branding, and you can find hundreds of resources, either free or dirt cheap, to help you understand what employer brand really is, how it really works, how to measure it, how to value it, how to talk about it, how to sell it to your boss. So check out employerbrand.ing for all sorts of employer brand resources to help you take advantage of your company's employer brand. I I I'm, I'm thinking of OpenAI 3 weeks ago when they all you know that that craziness happened the reshuffle happened and you know suddenly one person says I quit and suddenly 20 companies come out of the woodwork saying I will hire your entire team today like that mm-hmm. you know if if I'm I'm that talent that is the feeling of I am in a position where I offer something unique it's a proven value everybody wants it it's custom made for my target audience suddenly I don't have to beg for jobs. Jobs are falling in my lap. And I got to imagine if I'm open AI and I'm a recruiter, it's not like I have to spend a lot of money on, I don't know, recruitment ads, right? People <laughs> already want to work there. It's, it's, it's kind of baked in. Like I, I, So I'm an employer branding and I, I joke that everybody goes, what does Google do? And I said, Go- that's the wrong answer because, wrong question, because not only... Does Google get to play by Google rules? They don't even have an employer brand team, as far as I can tell, because they've never had to. They just have to say we have jobs, and ten thousand applications show up to the point where it's they, they have they spend more time kind of figuring out how do we talk how do we pick who to talk to than begging people to show up, and that is a stronger strategy. It's offering something that people want that they can't get elsewhere. I think that's that that makes perfect sense to me.
0: Yeah, I mean Google's a really interesting one because I don't you, you'll understand this better than me, but particularly back in the in the Back in the day, when, for example, they made that movie, the, what was it called? It was a movie about working for Google. The the internship, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the internship, yeah. Yeah. And there was a time when Google's sort of, um, I don't know what you call it, uh, recruitment, HR, whatever, uh, policy was actually a key sort of like strategic pillar for the business at large. It actually worked Mm -hmm. in the reverse way. It wasn't like you rely on the sexy business to make people think that the uh, that, that working for them is sexy. It was almost like the reverse, where it seemed to me like people's perception of what it was like to work at Google mm-hmm. drove their perception of the brand as a whole. Yeah, yeah. and it was completely cyclical. Mm.
1: Absolutely. yeah. Google compl- ac- There was a point in time uh, in which Google got so many applications, they literally didn't look at any of them unless they came with an internal referral. Like that is the, I mean, if you talk to a TA leader, they'll be like, how do you make that happen? He goes, well, it's a bit of a lightning in a, in a bottle kind of situation. It's not something you manufacture, but that is what real demand looks like. And that's why I'm a big fan of demand generation in terms of recruiting and not just how do we bug people? Please apply for jobs. Please apply for jobs. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so last question and it involves me quoting you to you which if when people do it to me it makes me insane, but I'm I'm, I'm going to be that jerk. I'm going to be that guy. I'm sorry. Uh, and that is it's come from a podcast where you say the best is is the synonym for the same. I don't know if you remember saying it, it might have just been some amazing bon mot that slipped out of your mouth, you know, as you were talking. But this idea that trying to compete to be the best of something is really embracing the expectations that everybody is the same that every year you're, you're just slightly better and that there's a much better strategy at work can you kind of unpack that because to me ta is so focused on i want to be a best place to work i want to be the best place to work and you're like i think that's the wrong it's setting the wrong north star
0: 100 percent. yeah no and uh, <coughs> i'm happy to have that one uh, quoted at me because that's one of my greatest hits so i can just knock okay, it out of the park good, good. so um yeah, best is a, synonym, is a synonym for the same, because obviously what you're saying when you're the best is you're saying, okay, compared to whatever the other options are, the, it's implied that there are other options. And then you're saying, we're, you're, the best is just another way of saying, we're like them, but a bit more. So, yeah. you know, the best football team is like every other football team, but a bit more, right? Yeah. Um, but conceptually, they're all the same thing so the best is being the best is an admission from the ground up that you are offering the same thing uh so already you have sort of failed in terms of uh differentiation and offering something people can't get elsewhere now you might you might say okay fine maybe like in terms of sort of category and market territory we are offering the same thing that people can get elsewhere but if we're the best that's fine because people will pick us anyway, but it doesn't work like that because the market, it doesn't perceive better. It only perceives different. It's not mm. It's not a kind of clear enough offer in order to be sort of like gravitated in on because for lo- lots and lots of reasons for that. But, you know, a sort of very basic reason, the most basic perhaps of all the reasons is well, it's what everyone would say because it's a cheap thing to say. Like no one says like, we're the fifth best, Whatever, no one's going to say that. Everyone is going to be the best. And then of course we could argue, what the hell does the best even mean? You know, the best based on what metric? It goes back to the beginning of our conversation. It's a completely empty term. So, So, you know, if you say like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you say, you know, we are, we're the best place to work. That to me is exactly the same as saying we are a place to work because because there's no <laughs> because there's nothing that I can grasp on there yeah. whereas we compare that to your SpaceX example that there was content in that example there was like mm. SpaceX is not like this to work in and it is like this and we have no opinion on whether that is good or bad better or worse it just is and it's in and it's up to you the candidate or whoever to judge, does that mean best for you or does it not? Some people think yeah. that SpaceX is the best place in the world to work. Some people think that SpaceX is the worst place in the world to work, and that's the way it should be. You've got to leave these value judgments up yeah. to the customer or the candidate or whatever the person who you're trying to you're trying to communicate with, because I think that's the thing that people miss. You don't own, you don't own the value judgment. This is a mm. really big, important, strategic. Oh, yeah you cannot insert a value judgment into what you offer nothing is good nothing is bad that is completely is that's completely in the eye of the beholder you just have to offer something that is unambiguous and specific and let people judge it for you so when people write their strategy like you know it's like a restaurant saying our strategy is to have excellent service i'm like it's not for you to judge the, if you have excellent service or not like that is yeah. not something that you can judge the customer McDonald's judge- has
1: excellent service but so does a three-star michelin restaurant what but they're oh, in no way different
0: exactly exactly that exactly that mcdonald's actually has excellent service so instead what you have to say is like no what we what we offer is insert something specific here and then if someone wants to think that that if someone wants to interpret that as excellent service that's great but that's not yep. what we're shooting for all we want to do is give people this particular thing that they can't get somewhere else and uh and uh, and let them decide what they think about it could you take it a step further and say,
1: for this kind of person, we are the best service. So, for a person in a car, we offer the best service. For a person who wants an evening of perfect wine and wine paired meals, we offer excellent service. Is is that part of it, or is that,
0: or am I just kind of splitting hairs now? It is better now. I wouldn't. Um, this is a purely so. Sort of, purely sort of semantic thing, like to use a sort, of, sort of, I mean, obviously like pretending that McDonald's was the only place in the world that offered drive through restaurants. Yeah. So pretending that that was actually a a proper sort of strategic differentiator, you know, in that scenario, I, although what you say is completely, is completely right. Um, personally, I would, I, I still think the word best is redundant and a little bit like self-serving. I would more, you know, I would be more inclined in that situation to say, we allow people to order and eat food in their cars, right? The, 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 you, you still don't even need to draw the best into it because yeah. if that's something that people want to do, and that they can't do otherwise, then everything will fall into place. So, like any any value judgment word is redundant. You know another way that people would do that which I think makes it redundant is they would say oh, I don't know we allow people to eat delicious food in their cars. Like I don't I don't I don't need to know that the food's delicious and what as opposed to what what's the alternative to this? You yeah. allow Here, people some to some garbage. Eat food So yeah. yeah, it's like it's people it, it's just good discipline to expunge all value judgments from what you do because that way you know that the only thing you're going to be left with is pure content is pure substance um yeah. so it's a, it's a sort of um just a good a good hack
1: yeah uh, alex this has been an amazing conversation before i let you go i know i have to let you go in two minutes do you have a challenge a strategic challenge or something you can leave with the audience to say this is how you should be approaching your next uh situation your next conversation with your boss i don't know is there any kind of challenge you can leave them with
0: Yeah, there is. Um, one, this is particularly true if you're talking about on an individual level. I mean, it's actually equally true on a company level as an individual level, but I think people will sort of like intuitively get it more at in, in, in an individual level, which is that you've got to, it's not enough to just figure out what might be effective. You have to figure out, you have to figure out what actually fits with you. And in terms of and what that means is that you can't really do a strategic process without it being a process of sort of self discovery because the mm. game is not to think about it's not sufficient to just think about what does the market want or what does my boss want or whatever you can do that but it's pretty likely you'll come up with an answer that you aren't best placed to deliver what you have to do is think about what are my gifts that I can give so the best um by far the greatest strategic line ever uttered by any human being ever in history. And I think that it's the only thing you actually ever need to know Uh is Dolly Parton's line, find out who you are and do it on purpose. There's so much to unpack in this line, but the crucial bit is notice she did not say, decide who you want to be and then go and do it because it's not up to you. You do not actually have, as a business, or as an individual, you do not have the, uh, the ability or the remit to actually decide who you want to be. You are, for better or worse, something. Mm-hmm. But that thing always has, if you harness it, it always has unlimited value. Uh, but Ooh, the mistake that was interesting, the, yes, yes. The mistake that people make is that they see something else or someone else who also is doing something amazing. And they think, oh, well, if I want to you know, be effective or be amazing, I need to be like them. But mm. all, they are, all, that per- all you're witnessing when you see that person, that hypothetical person, is you're witnessing a person who has lent into themselves 110% and has found a way to give value from, from, the, from their kind of like authentic being, so to speak. So if you think about like Johnny Knoxville and Mother Teresa are both extremely high value, highly charismatic individuals. But you would be an idiot if you said, oh, well, the way to be a highly charismatic individual is to be like Johnny Knoxville, because I could also point to Mother Teresa over there and I would say, well, what about her? And the, yeah. and the truth is, is that the content doesn't bloody matter. What matters is that they, fu- they understood and fully embodied themselves. And that's like the definition of charisma. And that's the definition mm-hmm. of how you give value so uh so you know um you've but it all begins with finding out who you are and brackets not deciding who you would like to be i i think that that is a big strategic mistake for a business i think that's a big strategic mistake for an individual because like you know you've you you can't you can't um you just can't embody something that you're not. I mean, I always think about, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling on the point, no, but I'll just, i no, no, just pose no. it with with one thing that it always makes me think of that when, uh, uh, me and a pal, when we were what, 16, 17, 18, we went to see the movie collateral, uh, in the cinema. Do you remember that one mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise? Sure, Cruise. Yep. Ice cold assassin kind of character. And he's super cool. And like my, uh, uh, my friend after that had the very logical thought of like, wow, well, well Tom Cruise's character in that is, is super cool. So if I behave like that, then I will be super cool. But the problem is if an 18 year old schoolboy from Ipswich in England dresses or carries himself like Tom Cruise's character in Collateral, not only does he not look cool, he looks like he looks the opposite. He looks absolutely ridiculous because there's no congruence there. So like, you, you, you can't just choose something that's abstractly cool. You know, you can only choose something that's congruent. So, you know, like congruence is everything for giving, for giving value.
1: Yeah. And so
0: that would be the challenge then, you know, can you be congruent with yourself and can you, and this is so, so difficult, you know, and I struggle with this myself, everyone struggles with this. Can yeah. you separate the things that are truly you from the things which you wish you were, but you are not? Can you draw a line between those two things? Bloody hard.
1: Yeah, this is my opportunity to leave one of my favorite quotes of all time, Thelonious Monk, the jazz uh, musician. The genius is the one who is most like themselves. And that to me is like- uh, yeah, that that kills me every single time I hear it or say it. It's just like, oh, that's 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 the thing. So Alex, everyone should absolutely subscribe to Basic Arts and your newsletter and the book, No Bullshit Strategy is amazing. I think I, I will happily, happily tell anyone who comes and talks to me about this book, how great it is. So please take a look at it. Thank you so much for your time. This has been an amazing conversation and uh, I hope you have a great evening. You too. Thanks a lot.